0: Hello, thanks for clicking on our podcast. I'm Brian. I'm the senior minister at Harmony Christian Church, and thanks for giving us a listen today. I hope that this podcast is a little bit of an encouragement to you and to your family and into your life today. You can find out more about us by going to HarmonyChurch.tv, and there you can read about us. You can give a donation if you like. But just hope that this is an encouragement to you. God bless you. My guess is, is that right about now, the relationships in your life have become very clear, really clear. We're we're asking questions about who's important, why they're important, how they're important. Our relationships right now have probably become very significant. To us. In fact, we're probably paying more attention to them now than we probably have in a very long time, especially when it comes to our friendships. And that's kind of interesting because... The statistics that are out there that talk about friends and and friendships report to us that most people report saying they don't have any friends. In fact, not only do they feel like they don't have any friends, they just kind of feel unloved, which is really kind of different maybe than how a lot of us feel. There's a movie out there called I Love You, Man. Uh, it's, It's a movie I'm not necessarily recommending, and you probably shouldn't watch it unedited, Uh, But it's this movie, I Love You, Man, and it's a a story of this guy by the name of Peter. And Peter, in the movie, gets engaged to his longtime girlfriend, Zoe. And Zoe is making all these plans for the wedding, and she's got six bridesmaids, and she's going to invite all these friends, and they're all going to come, and she's got all these family members. And Peter just doesn't really seem to have anything like that. And in part of the movie, uh, Peter sneaks into the home of his girlfriend and he's there and sitting in the kitchen and he's eavesdropping in on his girlfriend who's having like this little bridesmaids party and they're talking about the wedding and all the plans and all the things. And he overhears his now fiance comment to her friends that she's just not sure that Peter really has any friends. He doesn't have anybody that he could ask to be a groomsman or or his best man. A little bit later on in the movie, um, Zoe and Peter go over to Peter's parents' house and they're there and they're having dinner and Peter's mom begins to explain to Zoe that growing up, Peter had a lot of friends who were girls but not a lot of friends who were guys. And just, well, Peter just doesn't seem to have a lot of friends and that's sort of the whole premise of the whole movie is Peter trying to find some friends and my guess is That's where a lot of us are. A lot of us are doing that. We're wondering where our friends are. Now, I know you got friends. There's people, uh, there's people you, friends at work, uh, there's maybe friends at church. Uh, There's people that maybe you could call up and they might could go out to eat with them or or maybe you... uh, Maybe you go bowling with them, or go do some kind of activity. You remember when we used to do that, right? Remember? It seems like it was like years ago when you could go to the movies or go out to eat with somebody. You remember that? But we have some friends. We we have people that at least we call friends, right? But then you change jobs, things in the relationship get a little bit more complicated, and maybe you move, and those relationships go away, though those friendships. Change and they they change drastically. So there's a difference between friends and and like friendships and, and those kinds of relationships. If the statistics are correct, if they're telling us the truth, then here's the thing. Most of us don't make a new friend after the last year of whatever our education was if it was high school or college or maybe it was some sort of like certificate you had to go get for your job, whatever that last year of education was, was probably the last year that we made some friends. And again, if the statistics hold true, uh, after your 30th birthday, making friends becomes even more difficult. A survey in the year 2014 found that one out of 10 people, one out of 10, so they didn't even have a friend. There's a book called Bowling Alone, and in this book, it say, it suggests that if the statistics are to be believed about friendships and the lack of having them in our lives, then then what it tells us is is that most of us, what we what we really really crave in life, is a friend, not just a friend, but Somebody who really knows us. Knows us. People that we can be completely open with. Somebody that we can be vulnerable with. Somebody that we can tell our secrets to. We can confess our sins to. And we just don't really have a lot of those people in our lives. We don't have somebody we can confess to. We don't have somebody we tell our secrets to. We we don't tend to have somebody that we can look in the eye and tell the truth, and we don't have somebody that will look us in the eye and tell us the truth. So when we're talking about friends and friendships, usually what we're talking about is somebody who's probably more along the lines of like, like a buddy, a, a pal. That, that's what we mean. But I'd like to suggest to you that the Bible talks about friendships in a much deeper and more rich kind of a way. That there are people in our we want there are people in our lives that we want to be on the interior of our lives to really know us and let us be known to somebody else. I I've really kind of come to enjoy the book of Ecclesiastes. It's it's really kind of a fascinating book. Over the years, it's really kind of grown on me. At first it was really kind of this odd kind of a book, but now it's really kind of grown on me. I've really kind of come to enjoy it. And the and the word Ecclesiastes just means teacher or master teacher. And this master teacher wants us to get a main lesson. And the core sort of lesson that Ecclesiastes, this master teacher is trying to get at, is that life is short. Life is brief. And because life is brief and short, it's it's like vapor. Because life is like that, if you're alive right now, then that is a very good thing. If you're alive, then life is to be enjoyed. And so the master teacher wants us to call into question then, if life is to be enjoyed, it calls into question like our relationship with, with sex, with money, uh, with our career, and even with our friends. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8, it reads this. It says, A person who is all alone, with no child, no sibling, yet he works hard his entire life. Still he is never satisfied with the wealth he gains. Does Does he stop and ask, Why am I working so hard, or why am I depriving myself of life's simple pleasures? This, too, is fleeting, like trying to catch hold of a breath. It's a miserable situation. So what this master teacher is trying to say is is that going through life all alone is not good. In fact, going through life all alone is is a cause for misery in our lives. And he's not done. He he has a little bit more to say in, in verse nine. He says, Two are better than one, because a good return comes when two work together. If one of them fails, the other can help him. But who will help the pitiful person who falls down alone? That's the core. That's the core of friendships. Friendships. Who is going to be there? For you, or or who are you going to be there for when they fall? Who is that? This is the only place that this is talked about. The book of Genesis echoes what Ecclesiastes is talking about. So you might remember in those opening chapters there in the book of Genesis, God is sort of like in his wheelhouse. He's uh, he's in his kitchen. He's doing the things that he loves to do the most, which is create and create new things. And so you might imagine God has got his chef hat on, he's got his little apron on, he's in the kitchen, and he's just cooking up a bunch of stuff. And he's making the earth, and he's making land, and he's making trees, and birds, and fish, and animals, and he's he's putting all this stuff together. And as he's making it, he's kind of dipping his finger in the batter, and he's kind of tasting it a little bit, and he's like, oh, that that's good. Like, that's good. Oh, this one... Like that's good. He tastes all that. And then he's got one more thing he wants to cook up. And he cooks up Adam. And he makes Adam and he kinda dips his finger in the batter and kind of gives that a taste. And he's like, No, that, that's not good. This is missing something. There's an ingredient that's nah, it's a little, just a little off. And we know what happens. We know what we know what God and what God does. He goes and he creates Eve for Adam. And we love telling that story in church because we know what that means for romance and for families and for connection. But what we forget or what we neglect, and that is that is, is that is exactly what Ecclesiastes is talking about. Ecclesiastes is talking about the same thing. When 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 the when the writer of Ecclesiastes says two are better than one, he's talking about the same, the same deep kind of relationship that Adam and Eve have. But he's talking about it in a context that's not marriage. It's not about marriage. It's about the deep, abiding relationship of a friend. There's a movie called uh, Dinner with Friends. And in this movie, Dinner with Friends, there are these two guys who have been friends for years, and they're both married, and they're both kind of going through their own things. Uh, The one guy in his marriage, he's in the beginning phases of going through a divorce with his wife, and the, the other guy, he's in the beginning stages of going through like a, a re-examination of his relationship with his wife. And they have dinner, and there's all this sort of back and forth that happened. And then later on in the movie, the two guys get together, and the one guy, he's already gone through his divorce, and he's on the other side of that, and he's figuring out what's next for him. And the other guy, he's on the other side of having going, gone through the, the re-examination of his, of his relationship, and... Anyway, they both meet up, and they're kind of like rehashing kind of what happened. And the one guy looks at the other guy, the friend, and he's like, you know what? What we had as friends, like we weren't married, but it was something like a marriage. That's what the Bible talks about when it comes to friendship. The way the Bible talks about friendship is it's not a marriage, but it's something like a marriage. Something like a marriage. Friendships that are deep and abiding, and they're not shallow, and they bring joy and laughter and intensity and purpose. I mean, you know, hopefully you know, I mean, you you can't really have a great relationship if all you do is ever laugh with somebody and never cry. And that's what a good, deep friendship brings. Real friends who know the brilliant part of you and they know the negative side of you. Friends where you didn't say a word, but they know what you meant. Or they know what you said, but they also know you didn't mean a word of what you just said. Deep friends, abiding friends, friends with whom you are comfortable in saying anything to. Friends with whom you can be vulnerable with. And not even bat an eye. Like you wouldn't even worry about showing this vulnerability to this friend that you have. The most revolutionary thing about friendships is they just don't happen. Friendships are prayed for and cared for and nurtured and grown over time. Real friendships are work and they're sacrificed for, and they're inconvenient. Real friendships require hurt, risk, heartbreak, and yet they also produce encouragement and consolation. There's a guy by the name of Sebastian Younger. He wrote a book called War, and he's an American journalist. For a while, he was embedded with a group of soldiers who were in Afghanistan. And these soldiers were in a place called Restrepo. It's out of his book and the video footage that he took that the video documentary uh, Restrepo was made. Restrepo is uh, a place, a little dot on a map in Afghanistan that is named after one of the soldiers that died in this unit that was there. And this unit saw some of the heaviest fighting of the war was happening in this little small place that these soldiers were in. And so he wrote all about it, and he connected with a lot of these guys, and they remained friends even after they all kind of came home and went on to various things. They all remained connected and and friends afterwards. And one time, Sebastian Youngs he writes and says that one of the guys that he connected with, a guy by the name of Brandon O'Brien, he came over to his house. He was having like a dinner party, and they were they were sharing a few things, and and Brendan began a conversation with one of the women who was there and she was just asking him all kinds of questions like what was the war was like and what he experienced and everything that he'd been through and what was that like and and then she asked him a question she said I'm I'm just kind of curious after everything you've been through all the trauma and all the hurt and all the pain and all the all the loss that you've experienced is there anything about the war in Afghanistan that you miss and Younger writes that there was like this really long pause. Like you could tell he was really thinking about his answer. It was almost reaching to the point where you weren't really sure if he was going to even answer the lady's question. And then eventually he said to her, he said, ma'am, I miss it all. Well, that's a strange answer. You miss it all. What does that mean? You you miss the loss of life. You, you miss shooting at somebody. You, you miss bullets flying by your head. Younger writes, he said, I don't think that he meant any of those things. In fact, I think he meant the opposite of killing. What that guy missed was his brotherhood. A deep, abiding connection, relationship with fellow men. He missed it. And missed it deeply. There's all kinds of relationships that the scriptures call us to. And it calls us to friendships. And friendships are something that we have to step into. It's something that we have to kind of seek out for ourselves. In the very early stages of the Bible, there's really not a whole lot said about friendships until you get to the book of Psalms and Proverbs. And there, there's all this deep and rich information that the Bible wants to talk about, when it comes to friends, and, and basically what they want to say is, is that a friendship, a deep friendship, is something in which two people are committed to each other, no matter what. That's friendship. At the beginning of the Bible, there's Cain and Abel, the, the two brothers. Maybe you're familiar with the story, and Cain kills Abel. And when God comes to hold Cain accountable for what he has done, Cain kind of gives an, an odd kind of response. He, he doesn't say, well, I didn't do it. He doesn't say, well, it wasn't me. He doesn't blame Abel and say, well, the, the reason why things happen is because of him. Instead, Cain has an interesting question. Cain's question is, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, what Cain wants to know is, is okay, how responsible am I for somebody if I'm not married to them? If I'm not married to you, then just how responsible am I towards you? What does that look like? I, I would submit to you that now, especially now, with all the physical distancing that we have been experiencing, the the ways in which we've all sort of been pulled away from one another in the midst of all of this, could it be that God is calling you, that God is calling me into a time to reinvest, a time to reinvent our relationships, a time to reinvest and reinvent in our friendships? Could it be that the question that we're craving, the thing that we desire the most, what we really want is a friend, somebody who really knows us, somebody who really cares about us. And maybe now, right now, God is calling you and God is calling me into a time to reinvest and reinvent those relationships. What if on the other side of all this, whatever the new normal might look like as the weeks come and as the rest of the year unfolds, what if that includes you being a more connected you I'm not saying you have to go get 25 new friends, but what if there's at least two or three more people that you have in your life and those relationships are deep and abiding? What if that's something that we can do during this time? You know, the ultimate friend, obviously, would be Jesus. The truest of true friends. The one who is committed to us no matter what. That would be another relationship. How are we connecting and reinventing that one as well? But maybe during this time, that's what God's calling us to, to reconsider in our lives. What are those friends and friendships like? How are we investing and reinventing those? May God be with you as we strive to be friends with God and friends with other people. God bless you. This is the book of Jude, verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Peace be with you.